You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we will continue this morning our series Um, We are going to make a slight adjustment. We're going to try to tackle the last part of spiritual warfare next week, as well as the closing uh, verses of the book of Ephesians. And so we will finish next next week. Um, And the reason for that is the following week, October uh, the 21st, I believe that is 20th. 20th or 21st, we're going to have a um, child, a parent-child dedication service. We have a lot of babies that have been born recently, um, and that is a blessing from the Lord. And so we want to honor that uh, blessing and and say to the Lord, we uh, God recognize them as a gift from you, these children, and so we want to dedicate them back to the Lord. Um, and do that as a parent-child dedication service, recognizing that, that rightly understood a baby dedication service is a dedication of the parents to do the, the job that the Bible has called them to, and that is to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And, and so if you are interested, maybe you've never been a part of dedicating your children. Maybe you have older children at this point and you'd like to be a part of that. Or maybe there's been a baby uh, born in your family recently. We encourage you to sign up through the church office. If you would call and uh, let us know or you'd let me know sometime between now and then. And then we need a few pictures of your child. Uh, we want to uh, do the ooh and ah moment. Uh, and and uh, for some of us, it's the, the weeping, tearful moment like we had yesterday in the picture uh, deal. But, uh, you know, it just happens. We have children and we adjust. Um, and uh, it's just an exciting thing to be able to uh, do what the Lord has called us to in their lives. So we're going to look at the second part of Christian warfare, the gospel in Christian warfare this morning, and then finish it up next week, even as we finish up the book of Ephesians. The first thing that Paul calls the church to, as we looked at last week in this passage, the very first thing is that we would see the reality of the war that we are in. The reality of Christian warfare. The very first thing that Paul wants to do is to convince the church that there really is a battle going on around us. And he says... For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So I hope that you heed that warning from last week. And that you recognize that there is a battle in life for your heart, for your mind, for your life. And it is a battle going on in the heavenly places. The Christian is engaged in a deadly spiritual war. 
that has immediate spiritual danger. This is what we saw last week. And so we are to be sober, be strong, and be secure in this battle, knowing that we do have an enemy. Be aware of him. Stand against that enemy in the power of Christ's strength. And be secure in the battle. Trust him. Know that the battle is already won. It's not a battle that you're fighting for the first time. Jesus has already fought and won this battle. And so we are to stand firm in the midst of it. Be strong, sober, and secure, recognizing that there really is a battle going on. Well, Paul makes a transition in the passage. And it's probably the part of the passage that we are most familiar with. When he begins to deal with the preparation that we should have for Christian warfare. It's not just some truths to be aware of. There are some things that you and I must do to prepare for this battle. And Paul lays them out for us in the middle of this passage. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Preparation for the battle. We'll read the entire passage again, beginning with verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, we begin this morning in verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand In the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Lord, we pray now that you would lead us in the preaching of your word as we have read. Lord, would you accompany the preaching of your word by your spirit? Apply this word to our hearts. God, help us not to dismiss it in familiarity, but I pray, God, that our hearts would be convicted and our lives would be changed and that we would be readied for battle, not because we have a battle to face alone and in our own strength, But because standing in the strength of your might, God, we are able to stand because Christ has the victory. And so help us now, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so, yes, the Christian is in immediate spiritual danger because we are engaged in a deadly spiritual war. In the late 1940s, there was a boat that was created, a ship, in fact. The United States government commissioned a 
man by the name of William Francis Gibbs to work with the United States Lines, a shipping company, to construct an $80 million troop carrier for the Navy. Some of you may be familiar with this ship. The purpose of constructing this ship was to design a ship that could move speedily and carry a large number of troops. In fact, it was a large number in the day of 15,000 troops. And it was purposed to carry those troops during times of war. It was a, a battleship, so to speak. By 1952, construction on the SS United States was complete. The ship could travel at 44 knots. And those of you that don't know nautical miles like I don't, um, it's 51 miles per hour. And this ship could steam 10,000 miles without ever stopping for fuel or supplies. She could outrun any other ship and travel nonstop anywhere in the world in less than 10 days. The SS United States was the fastest and most reliable troop carrier in the world. Here's the catch. The ship never carried any troops, ever. At least not in any official capacity. The ship was put on standby during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, but otherwise she never used any of all of that capacity by the U.S. Navy. Instead, the SS United States became a luxury liner for presidents, heads of state, and a variety of other celebrities who traveled on her during her 17 years of service. As a luxury liner, she couldn't carry 15,000 people. Instead, she could only house just under 2,000 passengers. Those passengers could enjoy open deck with an open deck with a heated pool, 19 elevators, and the comfort of the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship. It was this was before cruise ships. Instead of a vessel used for the battle during wartime, the SS United States became a means of indulgence for wealthy people who desired to coast peacefully across the Atlantic. Imagine for a moment, if you will, that this ocean liner steamed its way through the, the ocean and maybe the, the journey seemed peaceful. Maybe they were steaming their way through the Caribbean Sea but never realizing that the battle all around them was raging, battleships mounting and armies gathering to launch an attack on this ship while 2,000 people enjoyed a luxury vacation. People tanning on the top deck. Kids swimming in the pool. A beautiful day. All the while, very troubled waters around them. It would be much like the Titanic, and you know that story, when this ship that set sail for the joy of all of the people on board was headed right for an iceberg. You don't take a cruise through the Caribbean Sea when there's a battle raging all around you. You don't take a cruise, so to speak, when there's a, a hurricane waiting out for you in the middle of the sea, do you? You kind of skirt around that thing. You don't go head first into it, right? You don't take that kind of a trip. You see, I'm concerned that the church today is doing that, though. That the church today, unbeknownst of the war that is going on around us spiritually, 
is floating through life on a luxury liner when in reality we were saved, we were redeemed, we were created to engage in the battle. And if we're not careful, we will spend our days enjoying the luxury of our lives and forget the urgency of the life that we now live. David Platt said it this way, Things look radically different on a luxury liner than they do on a troop carrier. The faces of soldiers preparing for battle and those of patrons enjoying their bonbons are radically different. The conservation of resources on a troop carrier contrasts sharply with the opulence that characterizes the luxury liner. And the pace at which the troop carrier moves is by necessity much faster than that of the luxury liner. After all, The troop carrier has an urgent task to accomplish. The luxury liner, on the other hand, is free to casually enjoy the ship. You see, I think that we find ourselves in our lives pursuing earthly gain and pursuing the things around us that we find will bring us happiness and joy in life. Those short-term kinds of, to use a catchphrase, trivial pursuits, when in reality God has called us to an urgent mission and that mission has great danger all around us. We do not have time to enjoy tanning on the top of the boat whenever Satan is on the leash. Or Satan is on the loose, rather. We do not have time. We do not have time to just simply go about our lives casually when in every moment and around every corner temptation is lurking. We do not have time to go about our lives casually and to just simply go around gaining all of the world's goals whenever Satan is wanting to kill, to steal, and to destroy. We are in a battle So Paul adds something in this passage to his first thought in just reminding us that there is a battle. We cannot passively kind of engage it. We must actively engage the battle. And so what does Paul say? Say, He says in verse 10, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He goes on to say, to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And watch what he says here. And having done all to stand firm. And then he makes the command, stand therefore in verse 14. Or three times rather, he says to stand. But that standing is built on something that we have already done. Having done all, in fact, not just a few things but done everything we possibly can to ready ourselves for battle. So what is Paul communicating to us? Not only should the Christian be aware of the battle, but the Christian must be prepared for spiritual war in order to be safe from spiritual danger. The Christian must be prepared for spiritual war in order to be safe from spiritual danger. And by the way, when the battle, when the spiritual battle gets hot and hard and dangerous, that's not the time to prepare. All that Paul mentions is in the past completed sense, having done all. It's already taken place. 
So the time to prepare for the spiritual battle is when everything looks good and everything around you is bright and sunny and the kids are splashing in the pool. That's the time to prepare. Don't fall asleep whenever the war is not raging so that whenever it does, you are ready. It is a preparation kind of a stage of our lives. And then when you've done all, it's time to stand. It's not a reactive stance. This is a proactive stance. Some of you may be fans of different fictional allegories. One of mine that happens to be or one that happens to be one of mine is the Lord of the Rings. And there's a moment in the end of that movie where the entire army of both sides is standing facing one another. And you can tell it's about to be battle royale. In our case, the war has already been won. And you stand ready for battle. And this is the posture of the Christian life every single moment of every single day. Never let down your guard. Realize that your preparation for the battle matters. And Paul is incredibly helpful here. Because he doesn't just say be prepared. He actually tells us how to prepare. And this is really important. It's titled, this passage has often been titled after the phrase that we see in the passage multiple times, and that is the armor of God, this phrase here. We've probably already heard this over and over, maybe in Sunday school and Bible studies. We've probably memorized it. Kids, how many of you have ever colored a picture of the armor of God or drawn a picture? Any, any kids in the room done that before? Yeah, we know it well. Whenever I was a kid, y'all are going to laugh, uh, but whenever I was a kid, Christian Bookstore was still open. Uh, Allie, you might remember this being right near. And they sold the Armor of God costume, and I had one of those as a kid, right? So we're super familiar with this. I want to issue a couple of cautions before we unpack what's being said here. I want us to be careful not to animate this too much. Not to make this too kid friendly, so to speak, because these are real preparations and this is a real battle and it is really dangerous. And our kids, maybe to make this a little bit more poignant, our kids are in this battle with us every day by our sides and the enemy wants them and us. And He is willing to stop at nothing to destroy our lives and our families and to rob us of the joy of God in our lives. And if He could, to snatch us right out of the hand of God. It is a serious, serious matter. Real preparations are mentioned here. And the second thing, let's always be careful that familiarity with a passage, does not lead us to apathy against that passage. Where it just simply stops speaking to us and we we just dismiss it because we already know that and we move on. I, I think that maybe this is one of the most dangerous places to do that. Because the moment that your pride rises is the moment the enemy is ready to bring you down to a crashing fall. 
So, how do we prepare for the battle? Paul gives us seven different things. Six of them we are to arm ourselves with. Six of them he ties to actual physical weapons and armor. One of them he sums up at the end, and it is not one that should be left out, but it encompasses all of the others and how we should understand doing them. And so, seven different ways we should arm ourselves for the battle. Number one, arm yourself with truth. Arm yourself with truth. And so you're there in the passage. These begin... In verse 13, therefore, take up, well, really in verse 14, but we'll start in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, and here's the armor, having fastened on the belt of truth, having fastened on the belt of truth. This is not a belt like you might think of in our day where you put your belt on. This is a belt that was under the armor. The Roman soldier would wear a belt that looked more like a leather apron than a belt. He would place that underneath his armor. It was a protective device that protected his thighs in battle. Some of you have seen pictures of Roman soldiers with these these things dangling but. Uh, Beside their legs that protected their, their thighs. It's, a, it's a, a picture of protection. It wasn't something that held up the rest of the armor as much. And yet it was something that was fastened securely. We know that they were to fasten it securely. We see that picture in Luke 12. You remember the story of the father coming and girding up the loins of his robe. He's girding himself to run vigorously. It's the same kind of a picture. In this case, it's a readiness for battle. And what Paul says is that we, like the Roman soldier, should prepare ourselves for battle by tightening up this belt of protection. We are to gird ourselves with truth, arm ourselves with truth. It's a foundational piece of armor. The idea of fastening it securely. It comes from not, the, not just the culture of Rome, but it also comes from the Old Testament. If you know your Old Testament, you'll have read something that sounds familiar to what Paul is describing here in Isaiah. In fact, sprinkled throughout Isaiah, we have this picture describing the Messiah, the one who himself is coming for battle. And so Isaiah 11 verse 5 says that righteousness shall be, his, be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Jesus is the one who ultimately wears this belt. It's an Old Testament context. And in wearing the belt, Jesus in the divine kingdom will be the one who is ultimately characterized by righteousness and truth. Isaiah 11 tells us. And so truth is wrapped around the waist of Jesus when he goes and being ready for battle. Not only there, but Paul mentions truth again and again in Ephesians. We saw it in verse in chapter 4, verse 24, when we were told to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, as if there's a false righteousness and holiness. Paul is there concerned about truth 
when it comes to the way that we live our lives. In chapter 5 and verse 9, revealed in the gospel this truth that has an outworking in our lives. We who are members of this new body. Chapter 5 verse 9 says that the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. There is the, the, the case that truth does exist. Truth is real. And in our culture, we need to hear this again and again. As at every turn, the enemy is trying to make truth relative to whatever you think that it is. If you feel that something is true, then it must be true. Everyone around us is trying to water down truth at every level. And Christians must be founded upon truth. We need the foundation belt of our lives to be the reminder that truth does exist. And why is this so important in spiritual warfare? Because our enemy, the one who is roaring and seeking whom he may devour, is also described as the father of lies. John 8:44 Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and talking to them when he says that your father, the devil, And your will is to do your father's desires. He goes on to say that he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The enemy will attack you with every lie in his arsenal. And he will try to get you to question the truth of God's word. He will try to get you to fall prey to the, to the relativistic kind of, kind of beliefs of our culture where there is no truth or maybe that's not true anymore. The enemy will try to get you to believe a lie in philosophy. He will try to get you to believe false theology. He will try to get you to believe false emotions. He will try to get you to believe falsehoods in your relationships. He wants you to believe non-truth. Because if he can get you to believe a lie, then everything else in your life will flow from that lie. There's a battle for truth in our culture. And so we must be armed with truth as a objective reality. And where do we find that truth? John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, sanctify them. Talking about us, sanctify them in your truth for your word is truth. Let the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, be the foundation of your life. Arm yourself with truth. Secondly, arm yourself with righteousness. Arm yourself with righteousness. And so he says, not only should we put on the belt of truth, he says here in verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, for a Roman soldier, the breastplate was a piece of armor that covered the chest. Some of you have seen that in movies or maybe you've seen it in other places. And it was to protect against anything that could come against them as a blow, as an impact, or anything that could come against them as an arrow. It was to protect all of the vital organs of the soldier. And Paul uses this language. But it's interesting that, again, it's not only rooted In Roman culture, it's also rooted in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 17. Isaiah 59 verse 17. He put on righteousness, again describing Christ, as a breastplate 
and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. I was having a conversation with Miss Janet Brown this morning and and I love this. She said to me, Pastor, the, the Old Testament, I, I said, we're going to be done with Ephesians soon. And she said, where are we going? I said, I think maybe we'll go to the Psalms for a little while and then maybe the book of Ezekiel. And she said, oh, good, I'm, I'm glad. I love the Old Testament. It's just as important as the New Testament. And I would say to you, you can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. I love this. Even to understand what Paul is talking about in the armor, you need Isaiah to shed light on the armor of God. And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is the one who is bringing vengeance against his enemies. And in his vengeance, he puts on this breastplate of righteousness. Jesus, who is not imperfectly righteous, but perfectly righteous. And so the context is when Jesus comes to deliver his people from his enemies, he's wearing perfect righteousness. And it helps us because if we're not careful we'll only understand this passage through a moralistic sense. We'll think in order for us to be in order for us to be safe in this battle, then we have to do good things. And I think that, yes, that is true. You must put on the breastplate of righteousness. Listen, if your life is grounded in truth, then your life will evidence righteous living. Amen. If your life is grounded in truth, you will live out righteousness. But it's not that alone. You need to be reminded in battle that it is not your own righteousness that will ultimately defend you from all of the fiery darts of the enemy. It is the righteousness of Christ alone that will defend you in the battle against the enemy. Some of the the darts that this enemy throws, by the way, you could you could read about this. This is a a picture of these flaming, uh, these flaming missiles. They're not just little tiny darts. They're flaming missiles that have been dipped in flammable liquid and are, are set afire. And they hit these Roman soldiers. And instead of just taking them out and killing them, fatally wounding them, it burns them alive. This is what the enemy is doing to us. This is the picture and to put this, ble- this breastplate of righteousness on is to block all of those things because Satan wants to remind you, no, you're a sinner. You don't deserve God's love. And I would say with Satan, yes and amen, I don't deserve God's love, but I bear the righteousness of Christ and he has given it to me freely by his grace. You see, this is how truth arms us for all of the attacks of the enemy. The breastplate of righteousness. Yes, those two things. God's justifying righteousness that is given to us by faith through His blood at the cross. It's the only way we're declared righteous before God. You will not do good works and get to heaven, church. You will not do good things and outweigh bad things. And Jesus will not measure your life by your own good works and say you can come into heaven. Our work will be measured only by the work of Christ. Our lives measured by the work of Christ. And He is perfectly righteous, praise God. So we are justified by faith in Him. And then we are righteous as we live out that in our lives every day, putting on the new self. And the attack of of the enemy will come against all of those things. Revelation says that He is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12 and verse 10. He is the one who tempts us. We see that even in the temptation of Jesus. And so we must be armed with His righteousness. Live out His righteousness and trust in His righteousness as our merit. Third, we must be armed with the Gospel. Arm yourself with the Gospel. So the Roman soldier would frequently wear this boot. 
And this boot would cover the, the, their foot. It was used explicitly uh, in battle, this kind, of, this kind of weapon that they would use. But it wasn't explicitly a, a war uh, weapon. It was to protect them, to protect their feet, especially on long marches. And Paul does not refer directly to b- believers wearing the footwear because that's not his focus. His focus is on somehow this gospel in battle impacts what our feet do. You say, that's kind of weird, a weird thought. I thought the gospel was all about your heart and you trusting in Jesus. Well, it is. But what does it do with our feet? Well, again, we have to turn to Isaiah to get the picture. So Isaiah 52 and verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. What does the gospel mean? Come on. Good news. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. It was a picture of this announcer, this messenger running across the mountains and and. In a poetic kind of sense, hearing the, the foot, the, the, the drumbeat of his feet as he ran across the mountains and this anticipation of Jerusalem that there was going to be good news coming. And the same kind of way Paul quotes this in Romans 10, reminding us that there is all kinds of people now preaching the good news of the gospel and how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, this gospel of peace. What Paul is doing here is he's reminding us that there is an offensive kind of tactic in this battle. But it's not one to destroy our enemies. That's Jesus' job. Watch this. It's one to love our enemies and to bring the good news of the gospel. Right? So you're having frustration in your life because people are are treating you in, in in a way that is ungodly? Preach the gospel to them. You're having a hard time in your marriage and and your spouse becomes your enemy. Preach the gospel to them. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that the gospel is good news. You see, in the midst of battle, when Satan wants to absolutely wreak havoc in every area of our lives, we can be reminded that we have good news and that although the battle rages hot now, that this is the gospel of peace. Jesus has brought down the middle wall of separation between us and between our brothers because of the blood of his cross. More than that, he's brought peace between us and God who were his enemies and the battle is already over. Jesus has won. And so you trust in the gospel. Arm yourself with the gospel. It's not the battle of destruction. It's a battle of salvation, a battle of peace. And so that leads to this salvation in the fourth point that he makes. The first, the fourth thing that we're to arm ourselves with, arm ourselves with faith, arm ourselves with faith. So he uses the term shield of faith. And again, a Roman soldier had two shields, one that was kind of an easier one to carry where he could maneuver in a tactile kind of or tactical kind of sense. And he could he could ward off the, the enemy But the other one was this massive shield that he could hold up. Some of you have seen this in the movies. He could hold up. It would cover him from head to toe. And they could get together and they could put these shields up and it would form a wall. Some of you have seen that. And so it is the shield of faith. And by the way, the the way the language is phrased, the, the shield itself is the faith. It's not that we put up a shield that accompanies our faith. Our faith is what defends us. 
whenever we stand before the enemy and he reminds us that we are sinful and that we that we don't deserve God's love or any of those things, we remind him that our faith and our trust is not in our own righteousness, but our faith is in Jesus. When we look around us and it looks like the enemy has won, how many of you have ever been there? It looks like the enemy has won. We're reminded that we put our faith and trust in Jesus and that no matter what our circumstances tell us, that Christ has already won. We put our faith in Him. I want you to hear this this morning. That means that your faith must be in Him to begin with. You see, the shield of faith means that we've stopped fighting the battle and that we've resigned ourselves to trust in the One who already won the battle. And some of you this morning may be here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Never trusted Him. You've been fighting on your own, in your own strength, your own power, trying to do what you can do to make a good life for yourself. And at the end of the day, whether you're experiencing it now or whether you experience it later, I want you to know that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. And today, if you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus is the one who is victor. Jesus will forgive your sin and everything the enemy has against you and everything that God would say on the final day to say you are cast out into an utter hell forever. All of that's forgiven in the blood of Jesus. That's good news. How beautiful is that good news? Amen, church? It's the gospel of peace and we also have faith, this shield of faith. Fifth, we should arm ourselves with salvation. Arm yourself with salvation. And he uses another image here, the helmet. Roman soldier put this helmet made of bronze. It would have pieces that come down and cover the cheeks and give protection to the head. The soldier would put this on. It's the same image that we see in Isaiah 59 as well in verse 17. The helmet of salvation. Jesus wears the helmet of salvation as He comes to save His people. And we wear the helmet of salvation as a reminder that we have been saved and that Jesus ultimately is saving us. You can run out into the battle. What if, what if, what if you could know the end from the beginning? What if you knew that this hurricane was never going to touch you? What if you knew that there were battleships all around you, but they couldn't hit What if you knew that you could go out into the battle and you knew that you were untouchable because of Christ as long as you put your trust and your faith in Him? See, if you knew that, the helmet of salvation is protecting you. You know that Christ saves. And He saves just at the last moment when you think all hope is lost. And God has a way of doing that. Oh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. At your weakest, darkest Lowest moment, Christ comes in and says, yes, I have you. Because at that moment, your faith is strengthened. At that moment, you look only to Him. He is the one who saves. We see that over and over again in the Psalms. I wish we had time to turn there this morning, but again and again. It's almost like at the end of the battle, here comes Jesus riding up over the hill, ready to save His people. And every time He's there, every single time, Arm yourself with salvation. Sixth, we're almost there. Number six, arm yourself with the Word. Similar. Similar to truth. 
belt of truth being the foundation, but truth as an objective concept, he says. Arm yourself with truth because it exists. Well, where do you find the truth? Here, as we mentioned before, arm yourself with the Word. And he calls it the sword of the Spirit. It's different than shield of faith. Because the sword is not the Spirit. The sword is the Word. The Spirit is the one who accompanies the the, the actual weapon. The Spirit is the one who makes application to the Word. And so the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Arm yourself with the Word. Short-handled sword and combat that was used as an offensive weapon. By the way, it's the only mention of an offensive weapon in the passage. Only mention. The only time that we are on offense is when the the Spirit of God is wielding the Word of God from the mouths of God's people. Again, this comes from Isaiah, the imagery from Isaiah 11, Revelation 19, the sword that comes from the mouth of Jesus when he saves his people. It is the same picture, amazing thought. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus is not coming with a physical sword, but the word of his mouth is going to be a sword that is slaying all of his enemies. It's an amazing thought. All Jesus has to do is speak and his enemies cower. That is our King. That is the one who is victor and who has won the battle. That is a reminder of what Paul said at the beginning of the passage. That we're to stand in the power of His might. Do you remember that? He said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Arm yourself with the Word. Every time the enemy tried to use the word against Jesus it was the word that Jesus returned to the enemy we're going to I just need to say this and I want to move on to the last thing believer you will be ill prepared for battle if all you rely on is colloquialisms that you've memorized from preachers growing up in your life You need the Word of God. Get into His Word. Know His Word. Love and memorize His Word because there is no other weapon. It's the only offensive weapon to the enemy. Only one. All you have is the Word. So know it. Know how to use your weapon. Here's the last thing and we'll close. Arm yourself with prayer. See, Paul does not mention this one in the same way he mentions the others. He doesn't align it with another weapon. And I think that that's because it's to be applied to every other weapon. When you are clinging to truth, you are doing so prayerfully. When you are arming yourself with righteousness, you are praying through being righteous. When you are arming yourself with the gospel, you're praying, Jesus, remind me of what you've done in the gospel. You're praying for faith. You're you're reminding yourself of praying, God, thank you for your salvation, that you will win this battle. Thank you that you've given me your word. All of these things are bathed in prayer. It's what Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit and the way that that is Structured is attached to everything else we've seen so far. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Praying in the Spirit with all 
prayer and supplications. The fact that he mentions it twice almost doesn't even make sense in our language, but it's there for emphasis. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications. In other words, I'm really concerned that you keep praying. Be a praying person. The Bible says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you are depending upon your own weapons, your own strength, your own righteousness, you will fail. Paul said, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. He says that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Church, if you put on the armor of God, the full armor of God, you will be able to withstand the enemy. And on that day, when all things are measured out, you still will be standing in truth. Trust in Him, in the strength of His might and His power, and take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand on the evil day and having done all to stand. Would you bow your heads with me all across the room? As we move to our time of invitation, some of you need to come and spend some time in the prayer that we just talked about. Lord, help me. Help me in the midst of what I'm facing to trust in You again. Some of you have grown weak in the battle or you've been trying to do it on your own and you just simply need to surrender to the Lord again. The one who is fighting for you, the one who is your rear guard, the one who goes before you in battle, the one who is sovereign over all of his enemies and the one who will ultimately crush every enemy under his feet. Today you need to trust in him again. Ask the Lord to renew your faith, to strengthen your armor. And He will. So in just a few moments, when we stand and sing, you come to this altar and you spend some time alone with the Lord. Some of you this morning may say, you know, today I, I don't know Jesus. I, I, this battle I'm facing, I'm facing on my own. And, and I want to know Christ. I want to be on the winning side. I, I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need a Savior. God, would You save me? And today, if You will come from where You're seated, and you'll come to this altar and you'll cry out to a holy God. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so you come in just a few moments. When we stand, you step out of the seat where you're sitting, the place where you'll be standing, and you come and you say, Today, Pastor, I want to trust in Jesus. Will you help me? And I'll help you. I'll tell you what the Word of God means or tells you about how you can be saved. Others of you in this room have other needs in your life and you need to come and pray or make other decisions in this room. I want to encourage you that today's the day Today's the day to respond to the Lord in obedience. So as we stand all across the room, I'm going to pray. As you're standing, I'm praying. And today you come. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in this place. And God, that our hearts would be aligned with your heart as you've called us to obey your word. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening.
and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.